Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and we have somehow, someway made it to April in the year 2021, which means we are closing in on Taurus season, y'all. Coming up, an expert tells us about some of the underlooked ladies in Western history, plus how lots of young women crying into their phones about books is creating huge shifts in the publishing industry. But first, it's our panel about the week that was. Our guests this week are the host of the CityCast Chicago podcast, Jacoby Cochran. Jacoby, hey. Hey, I appreciate y'all having me this week. Hey, thanks for coming on. And we have perennial Nerdette favorite, the host of Jill Afternoons on Vocalo, Jill Hopkins. Jill, hello. Hi, Greta. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm just (laughs) delighted. So it was another week. Uh, COVID cases seem to be increasing in a lot of places. The CDC is begging people to stick with mask wearing and social distancing. The Pfizer vaccine has been approved for teenagers. But a really huge story from this week is the Derek Chauvin trial. It started this week. He's the police officer accused of killing George Floyd in Minneapolis last summer. That's the homicide that led to protests and riots across the United States. This is obviously a hugely important trial. I also imagine that it would be incredibly traumatic to try to keep up with the ins and outs of it throughout the week. I'm curious how closely y'all are keeping track of it. Jacoby, is this something that like you have the TV on, you're checking in? Yeah, doing a podcast every day kind of forces you to stay up on these stories. Yeah. And, you know, I was watching when opening statements took place earlier this week as witnesses have been brought in. And I find myself most of the time trying to just like beat down my own broken heart to unfortunately prepare myself for, you know, what may look like 30 years ago when we all saw the tape of Rodney King being beaten and we spent an entire trial being told we didn't see what we saw. And, and that's what this feels like. Yeah. I hear you. I mean, even like one of the witnesses, I saw a very brief video clip of him on Twitter, essentially being interrogated by the defense lawyer. And it was just like, even that alone was so hard to watch, let alone, you know, the teenage girl who filmed the thing. Like, I just can't Mm -hmm. imagine how difficult it is for her. Like, it just, oh, it's just so painful everywhere. Yeah. And these witnesses are like all of us, but the witnesses especially are kind of the collateral damage from this whole thing. Mm -hmm. This this PTSD that's going to, or has already settled in from experiencing something like that at such close range, that shatters a person. And now we're talking about a whole community and specific members of that community, you know, finding themselves maybe trying to seek mental health, feeling this, this guilt, like many different layers of guilt. And 
I mean, these sorts of things take their toll on society at large, but I don't think we often take the time to think about how it affects the individuals who were not the explicit victims of these crimes, but, you know, saw a system fail at its highest level right in front of their eyes and saw human life taken away right in front of their eyes. It's, I don't think it's something that you come back from. Yeah. So, so how are each of you like taking care of yourselves over the course of, of this? Oh, you guys are taking care of yourselves. <laughs> right. That was my first thought. I was like, Oh, maybe, maybe Jill going to give me some insight. <laughs> this eating sandwiches better way too large for me to eat in one sitting count. Cause that's my, my thing. I mean, yeah, I think we could count that for sure. I think coping mechanisms come in all sorts of shapes and sizes and sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so I want to switch gears a little bit. Another mm-hmm. really interesting story that bubbled up this week is about singer-songwriter-rapper Lil Nas X and a satanic music video. Now, Jill, you're a music expert. I'm hoping that you can take this away and explain it a little more. <laughs> okay, so is everybody ready? Yeah. Lil Nas X, a.k.a. my adopted nephew. <laughs> Burst onto the scene a couple of summers ago with a song called Old Town Road. I got the horses in the back, horse stock is attached. This song is going to break records that you didn't even know existed. Yes. Mm-hmm. So popular. Fast forward to just last weekend, mm-hmm. Little Nouns X drops a video called Montero, Call Me By Your Name. I caught it bad just today. You hear me with a call to your place. And in this video, Lil Nas X gets arrested by Lil Nas X in the Garden of Eden. He is taken via the world's longest stripper pole down into hell where the devil, who is also Lil Nas X, is sitting on his throne. Lil Nas X gives a tortacular lap dance to the devil, snaps his neck, and puts on his devil horns. Bada bing, bada boom. It was glorious. But predictably, uh, right-wing pearl clutchers are like, oh, oh my goodness, it's blasphemous, it's homosexual, it's satanic. And he's like, y'all told me my whole life that we were going to hell because we are gay. And then I went to hell and you're like, not like that. And <laughs> it's ridiculous. Meanwhile, meanwhile, he hooks up with this independent sneaker designer <laughs> who has purchased a butt-ton of Nikes. Uh, <laughs> on his own and they've redesigned them there's like a pentagram they said there's a drop of human blood in there Mm -hmm. which by the way is not a new thing kiss did that with a comic book Mm -hmm. in the 1970s (laughs) and folks were the the blasphemy train had left the station i didn't know that blasphemy twitter was a thing but it's my new favorite Mm -hmm. and everybody has lost their shit meanwhile this kid's sitting on top of what i imagine is a pile of money Mm -hmm. Tenting his fingers like Mr. Burns. Excellent. And just clapping back, clapping back at every person that comes near him. Governors Mm -hmm. can get it. Girls who want to be Fox News correspondents, but everybody knows them because they shit their pants can get it. Anybody. (laughs) Anybody can get this smoke. And I I think it's a master class in media handling. Mm -hmm. Nike is suing the, the, the shoe designer, but not Lil Nas X. Hmm. I've never seen such like 
winning happen in such a short <laughs> amount of time. It's been fascinating to watch. It does just seem like win, win, win. win. Like he puts out this video. He knows exactly how people are going to freak out. He knows exactly mm-hmm. how to call them out for freaking out. I mean, you mentioned the governor. So it was the governor of South Dakota who yelled about the pentagram sneakers on Twitter. And Lil Nas X is like, do your job. Like, don't you, don't you have like people to feed? You're freaking out about shoes. Like, do your job. It's just, it's kind of exquisite. Yeah. And the mm. angle where folks are like, you're for children. Old Town Road, my kid's favorite song. And he's like, did you not listen to the lyrics? Yeah. He's like, did you not hear it? Do you remember the lean reference? <laughs> All the, the, the boobies? He talk, the boobies are right there. He was like, they were straight fornication and, <laughs> and adultery. What do you mean? There was that one viral video where he went to like an elementary school and surprised the kids. And that was super wholesome. But like, if you listen to these lyrics, yeah, that ain't for kids. Mm-hmm. It ain't for kids. Mm-hmm. So what do y'all like? Are either of you going to get these sneakers? I mean, they already gone. So, (laughs) you know, I I love me a good pair of sneakers. And it's always interesting. I'm like, y'all let Virgil Abloh like cut up, tear up. I got a homie, Ron Louie, who dies uh, Nike sneakers. And, you know, ain't a lot of cease and desist happening over here. (laughs) So, you know, from a corporate standpoint, Nike is trying to to have its cake and eat it too. Um, <laughs> but, you know, last week's episode, you all talked about the precision of German words. Oh, yeah. And, and German is such a beautiful language for philosophy because of how detailed it is. Mm. And little Nas X's use of Twitter reminds me of my favorite German word, which is Zuhandenheit. And it, and it comes from the Heideggerian school of existentialism. And it really means... <laughs> a useful or working tool that one is plainly ready to hand. Basically when you have a tool, you don't really think about the tool. You just, Mm -hmm. when you need a hammer, you use a hammer. The only time you think about the hammer is when it's broken and the way he utilizes social media, it's always ready to hand. You only, he only thinks about it when a tweet fails to upload or the, the server goes down, but it's so connected. It's so subconscious, like subconsciously. It's just like muscle um, memory. Exactly. It's so available to him that when somebody claps at him, he's just like, Zuhandenheit, Twitter, it's ready. Here we go. Push it out. I mean, I don't know if Heidegger expected that in 2021, some black dude from Chicago would be bastardizing uh, being in time for a podcast, but here we are. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Okay. So the last thing I wanted to ask y'all about is a really strange and kind of hilarious i guess story which is the one about the boat that was blocking the suez canal it has finally Mm -hmm. cleared apparently this blockage disrupted like almost 10 billion dollars in trade every day that it was stuck like it's kind of a disaster though i have to say it hasn't Uh affected my life in my little apartment over in ukrainian (laughs) village at all um but i don't know i'm curious like did y'all follow this story? Did it give you a new a newfound appreciation for man-made canals or the global shipping industry? Jill, what do you think? I have an order in for, okay, so you know, Greta, <laughs> in, in your life as a, 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 you know, a woman or someone who wears skirts and dresses, mm-hmm. uh, you accumulate pairs of tights Mm -hmm. over your life Mm -hmm. and if you're like me none of those tights were high quality or expensive at all because you're gonna ruin them you're gonna ruin them and you know i used to wait tables and they were just good to have under a skirt because you're doing a lot of bending and whatnot Mm -hmm. but like 
I recently threw out all my crap tights because mm. I'm an adult woman. Tight upgrade. Good for you. I, I spent money on these kind of, you know, fancy lady tights that are made in Italy. They're not like super expensive, but I think they were on that boat. <laughs> <laughs> I have like a your tights are shipping email like one day and then the next day the boat was stuck and I haven't seen my tights yet. So I'm just, you know, maybe that's what happened to that fancy watering can I got. Maybe. <laughs> what about you, Jacoby? Was this a story that you were like remotely interested in? Honestly, a little bit. Uh, I also come from the school of forensics. So I used to teach a summer uh, speech camp and I had to give the Israeli Egyptian uh, relations speech one day. And mm. so I'm immediately thinking about like the six days war of 1967, when the Suez canal was shut down for eight years, uh, after Israel attacked Syria, Jordan, Egypt. Um, and so, you know, a few days or a week, I was thinking like, man, you're lucky. Like <laughs> this thing didn't shut down for global conflict a few times. Um, it was pretty interesting to just see a boat stuck in a waterway like a like a bath time toy it was like this this really has just a boat turned sideways really shut down yep. billions of dollars and yeah. global transaction this is like i don't know human beings seem to get themselves in such c- complex problems all of our own uh creation I think that's what I kind of love about it is because like, I mean, we spend so much time thinking about and talking about like these huge systemic issues that feel completely out of our control. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, no, turns out if you just put a boat in a weird direction, it's going (laughs) to fuck up a bunch of stuff. I'm actually surprised this hasn't happened before because we as a species (laughs) are clumsy. I'm clumsy on foot. (laughs) Not to mention, did you see the, the like helicopter footage? Somebody flew a helicopter and like, all of the boats that were backed up oh, behind yeah. this boat. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Like imagine putting a boat in reverse, like, all right, I'm gonna just go around Africa, I guess. <laughs> I'm just, I guess I'm gonna just be go around South Africa real quick. I'll be back. Apparently six weeks became five months. Like that's <laughs> you gotta call home like I mean, isn't that the story? That's the story of like, you know, exploration in like the thirteenth, fourteenth. Totally, and totally, yeah. <laughs> Like, all right, I'll be back in a couple of weeks. And you just got to call home. Like, actually, a boat got stuck on the highway <laughs> and I have to reroute. But it's not just like an exit. I have to go around the tip of Africa. So <laughs> I'll see you in half a year. <laughs> well, Jill, will you keep us posted on the on the tight saga? I will. I'll send you pictures. <laughs> it'll be a fashion show. Okay, good. Jill, Jacoby, thank you so much. This was really a pleasure to talk with you today. No, nah, thank you. Thanks, Greta. I love you. After the break, we are extending Women's History Month by two days because really it should be Women's History Month all the time. It should just be Women's History time and it should be just time. (laughs) We're going to do that with historian Rosalind Miles and we're going to learn all about hashtag book talk with Beth Ann Patrick. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. 
Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Did you, like me, take a Western Civ class in college? Did you, like me, not really happen to think about how many dudes were featured until well after taking it? Well, our next guest has just written a book that would be the perfect complement to a super bro-heavy European or American history class. Her name is Rosalind Miles, and her new book is called The Women's History of the Modern World, How Radicals, Rebels, and Every Women Revolutionized the Last 200 Years. Rosalind, welcome to Nerdette. Thank you. So why do you think the world needs this book now? Well, every revolution in the history of the world has women fighting alongside men. The American Revolution is a perfect example of how the women pitched in. French Revolution, even more so because it wasn't a military revolution as yours was. So the men couldn't pretend to claim military superiority over the women. In fact, the women in the French Revolution were usually more savage. But once the revolution is over and the dust settles, the power balance reverts exactly to what it was before with men on top and women inferior And that has not changed in the history of the world. Hmm. But now I think we can have our revolution as long as we know what we're doing and as long as we go for it. Well, and it's so fascinating, too. I mean, and in your early chapters, you discuss both the American and the French revolutions. And I mean, there is such an intense irony to the fact that that both of those revolutions were about independence, but it became very clear that it was about independence for only a very specific kind of person. Well, the word equality here also is very significant because now we are going full time on diversity and hurrah for that. The more diverse, the better, the more fun we'll all have. But the word equality, which is also supposed to be the same, is not. And we are not getting equality. Right. And we won't unless we start looking for it. So that reminds me of of something you said in your foreword. You write about how some readers might not think that what you've written is real history. Maybe it's not scholarly enough. You respond to those readers with a quote from Mary Ritter Beard, uh, which I'm going to read because I just loved it so much. Uh, She wrote or she said, there is sure to be an overemphasis in places. But my apology is that when conditions have been long weighted too much on one side, it's necessary to bear down heavily on the other. That is so well phrased. And Mary Ritterbeard is one of my great heroines. And of course, she's one of those great American women that you had who really got the whole thing by the scruff of the neck. I'm thinking of the Seneca Falls Convention mm. and that the amazing women there, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, who said, Failure is impossible. I said that to myself if ever I'm feeling down. It's <laughs> impossible. And they did the whole thing. They tackled the law, the Bible. One of them even rewrote the Bible and called it the Women's Bible. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to take the whole of society by the scruff of the neck. Now, in England, we had the wonderful Mrs. Pankhurst, 
four foot nine, but you messed with her at your peril. Uh, and of course, the, the suffragette women wore those huge hats, not just to look more impressive, but to protect their heads from the half bricks and stones and things that were thrown at them. But their issue, one of the reasons they were successful, and I'm not at all belittling them, but it was a single issue thing. Give us the vote. Give women the vote. And they would just be hauled out of the dock in jails, screaming, give women the vote. And that is a very simple message, and it gets through. The Seneca Falls Convention, as early as 1848, looked at everything. And that was quite difficult at the time. A number of your women then thought that that was really too much to ask for, that we shouldn't expect to get the vote and legal rights and civic recognition and entry to the professions and all those things, which we now take to be absolutely part of the whole package. But they soldiered on nevertheless, and I'm, I've got a girl crush on all of them. <laughs> So, yeah, I wanted to ask you if there are any specific anecdotes from the book that you really love or are delighted by or or go back to to remind yourself on days when when it feels like everything is just really uphill. So many, so many. And it depends what kind of a mood I'm in. If I'm, I'm if I'm feeling a bit feeble, I remind myself of this wonderful woman called Maria Spelterini. She was Italian and she was born into the circus and they discovered she had a great gift for high wire walking. Mm -hmm. She is the only person, only one of two people and the only woman who walked on a high wire across the Niagara Gorge. And she not only walked this high wire across the Niagara Gorge, where there are high winds, as many people will know, she did it frontwise, she did it backwards, She did it again with baskets on her feet. She did it blindfold. And she did it in a hat and a fantastic uh, little red skirt showing off her wonderfully chunky legs. She was not a slenderella. Uh, And her little red hat and a smart little jacket. And so when I think of her, I I say to myself, get on with it, Miles. It's not Niagara. Um, But another story I like from England is a wonderful woman called Lady Florence Dixie, who funded and fielded and got together the first ever professional women's football team in England uh, in the teeth of um, great, huge male opposition. Uh, And I mean English football, which I believe you call soccer, not the stuff with big shoulder pads. Correct. And her her captain was a woman called Miss Nettie J. Honeyball. And that was a pseudonym because the women had to often had to play under false names because if their families found out, they would be suspected of going towards Safism or um, something suspicious if they wanted to spend time with other women or else they would make themselves too masculine and therefore they wouldn't be marriageable enough they wouldn't be cute and sweet and fainting and wilting and doing all that eye batting stuff (laughs) she had a well one of the women goalkeepers further down the line a woman called lily parr she had a fantastic career as a striker and she was once challenged by a professional male footballer 
who just put a huge bet on himself and boasted to all his chums in the pub that she would not get a ball past him. And so they all turned out to see this spectacle of Lily Parr being humiliated. Mm -hmm. He not only got the ball past him, she broke his arm. Yes. (laughs) That's amazing. I know that's mean and I feel mean (laughs) saying it, but oh boy, does it give me a lift when I'm feeling feeble. (laughs) So what about on a day when you're feeling especially feisty? Oh, well, I always feel like we can change the world. And of course, this is a big thing that all the world puts on America, but it's basic. It's got to come from you because you lead the world in these things. Hmm. And it's so you so nearly did it. In 1972 and three, Equal Rights Amendment, you had two, two presidents had backed it. Uh, Nixon and Jimmy Cotter, Mm -hmm. uh, and 30 of the 38 states that were needed to ratify it had passed the ratification Mm -hmm. when the good old boys woke up to the fact that if they gave women the Equal Rights Amendment, if they gave made women equal in law, they'd have to pay them equally. Mm -hmm. And, oh, shock, horror, couldn't have that perish the thought so the whole of industry essentially swung against it and they got the states that had ratified it to back down and the era failed now you were so near and i'm just hoping against hope that some american women will get that going again because now with Kamala harris you can't say women can't do it you can't say they're not capable. Yeah. If they can hold down a job as top as that, they deserve equal rights. And I'm looking to America to do it. And if you get a campaign going, I'll come over and join it. <laughs> so I already mentioned one thing that you wrote in the forward that I thought was interesting, but there was another one as well. You wrote that liberating women is a work in progress. You said, I want this to be a story that inspires others to take the history of women further and higher in our emergence from centuries in the shadows to the broad light of day. That got me wondering when it comes to researching some of these women. I mean, obviously, some of the you know, you mentioned Margaret Sanger. She's very well known at this point. But for some of the women who were more in the shadows, how difficult of a process is it even just to find them and learn about them and find primary source documents that that tell you about them. Again, this is one of the myths that, you know, when they said they were looking for women in England to be in the House of Lords and they would say, well, there aren't any. Mm. It's the same with writing about women. It's all there. You simply have to look for it. And often the absence is as telling as the presence. For instance, you know, one of our great military historians, Anthony Beaver, you look into any one of his books and you look in vain for anything under were women, F, female. They're just not there. Now, I've written a lot about women and war and women in war. They're there all the time, not just as brave uh, heroines of the resistance, but they're fighting, they're making uh, munitions. They are there. And you just literally have to go into any library, open any book, and just go for the index, and there they are. Rosalind Miles, thank you so much. You are an absolute delight. This was a really wonderful conversation. Thank you.
I love talking about books. Yes, I love reading them, but what I really love is finishing a really great book and knowing that someone else I know has read it too, so we can yell at each other about how great it is. Turns out there's an app for that. TikTok, the social media app that serves up videos, has a whole hashtag situation called Book Talk, which apparently involves a lot of women in their teens and 20s crying about books they just read. Here is an example. This is Ayman, who's on TikTok as Ayman's Books. Hey, this is day one of me reading the song of Achilles. <laughs> this is me finishing it. <laughs> What's really wild, though, is that it appears these videos are having a huge impact on book sales. Here to tell us more about it is book critic Beth Ann Patrick, also known as the Book Maven on Twitter. Beth Ann, hello. Hello, Greta. So you post about books a lot as the Book Maven on Twitter. I post about books a lot as Nerd App Podcast on Instagram. Are we just totally out of touch, you think? I'm not sure if we're out of touch. We're just doing something in a different way. <laughs> it, it really isn't out of touch. I think uh, book talk definitely appeals to the younger set. And so that is a little bit generational. But I also think that it almost is appealing to an entirely different part of our brains. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think people are responding so intensely to these TikToks? Well, it, you know, it's amazing because I watched uh, a few of them and I thought this is really speaking to people in a different way. It is not appealing to the intellect. It's not even appealing to the emotions the way we do when we get excited about something. I thought when I was seeing them, oh, these are really speaking to our lizard brain, right? Mm. Because when you see someone in distress, when you see someone crying, you want to act. Now, sometimes in real life, the person is really in distress, right? So you need to act by helping them. Mm -hmm. But in this case, you're watching a video, you're seeing someone crying, you want to do something. What do you do? You think, I've got to buy the book. I need the thing that makes me feel the way that person is feeling exactly. things. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So as a legit, like, capital B book, capital C critic, <laughs> would you call what these girls are doing book criticism? It's definitely not book criticism. <laughs> it's definitely book reaction. Mm -hmm. It's definitely very powerful. And I think many of them will probably grow up to want to do some form of book criticism mm -hmm. because eventually you want, it, this is what happens to nerdettes and book mavens, right? When you're <laughs> younger, we, you know, we sit with a book and we laugh, we cry, we have these intense feelings doesn't mean we stop having them. There are still books that make me cry, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't cry while I'm telling someone else to read them. That's the difference. <laughs> That's the difference. Because when you become an adult, when your prefrontal cortices, you know, are fully connected, you modulate yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a teenager, of course, uh, a 20 year old woman is not at that point. Um, and this is not at all to dismiss what book talk is doing. Mm -hmm. And it's not to say that book criticism is better either. It's just to say that they're different modes. I think book talk is really powerful. It's just not the same thing. That's all. Not It's not a judgment call about book talk. It right. is simply um, seeing it for what it is and why it's resulting in sales. Right. right. You know? So what do you think is the moral here? Is it just find friends who read however you can? 
I, I do think the moral is find ways to share books however you can. Yep. Yep. Well, and there's just so much out there too, right? That, you know, like, I mean, even you as a book critic, I'm sure one of the most important things to you when you still choose a book to read is word of mouth. You know, if someone you know and love and trust tells you to read a book, you're more likely to do it. Oh, absolutely. That is very important. And so this is the thing. I can say that to you. I can say, oh, Greta, I just read something and I loved it so much, like uh, The Five Wounds by um, oh, Kristen, yes. um, Valdez Quaid. That is one that I might say, Greta, you've got to read it. It's so good. And you might, but if I called you up sobbing and said, I just read <laughs> The Five Wounds, you know, that's a different thing. It's a different, it's a different yeah. reaction. Yeah. So do you think you're going to join TikTok? <laughs> you never know. Stranger things have happened. <laughs> but then, thank you so much. It was really fun to catch up with you. You are so welcome. Glad to be here. Can't wait to talk again. All right, that's it for today. The episode was produced by me and Isabel Carter. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. We will see you next week. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.